These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Believe in Saints, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Kate Kistner, an editor at Canal Street Chronicles. And I'm Maddie Hudak, also an editor over at Canal Street Chronicles. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's former New Orleans Saints cornerback Delvin Bro here, New Orleans native. I just want to say thank you. Bro Show, out. Welcome back to Believing Saints. This is episode five, and we're here to break down the 52 to 33 thrashing that the Saints laid down on the Vikings on Christmas Day. On top of that, we apologize for bringing this to you one day late. So we're going to make it a little extra long, give you a couple of playoff scenarios, and give you a short preview of what the Saints are going to be facing in the Carolina Panthers on week seven. So as always, let's get right to our quick reactions. It's hard to take that many takeaways from this compared to last week. For example, there's, you know, a lot more in-depth stuff to take away. We had a really depleted inferior opponent this time. That being said, you could say the same about the Philadelphia Eagles and we saw how that turned out. The fact of the matter is the Saints, they had to do their job. They did it. They did it in an unorthodox way with zero touchdowns from Drew Brees and uh, 52 points scored on the ground between Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara. Did some play action, which was new. It kind of diversified the offense a little bit. Uh, We involved Murray a lot more, which I appreciate that we're starting to see some consistency there. And I think the defense pretty much did what we could ask for them. They didn't let Kirk Cousins eat them up through play action. They pretty much contained Dalvin Cook. Uh, There are a couple of issues there that we'll get to later down the line, but I think that this was really good for confidence, exercising playoff demons, and just setting the Saints back on a ship of, you know, winning Shit. Yeah, I, I agree. And the way that those guys got after it, even off the line, man, the way those guys just, you know, they, man, they demolished. You know, uh, I, I even like the fact that, you know, we, we stuck to it. Sometimes during games, you know, we always would veer away from the run, but we stuck to the run heavy uh, a lot this game. And uh, I think we had great, great running lanes and uh, passing lanes for Drew and uh, Alvin Kamara. Uh, as you see with his record-breaking performance. Uh, and defensively, man, I, I, I love it. We just have to continue to be uh, very consistent in what we're doing. Uh, we have to be consistent tacklers. We have to be consistent communicators. We have to keep the ball from going over the top, keep everything in front and underneath. And I think we're going to be well, man. The special team is playing well. I, I, I love it. I got my boy Justin Hardy back out there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's out there playing well, having fun, man. So I, I love it where this team is headed. I, I'm kind of in the same boat with both of you guys. 
Uh, I really enjoyed the way that Sean Payton and Drew Brees were implementing some different things, some different schemes into the offense. Like you said, play action, running the ball well. The offensive line was an incredible asset this game, even though Andrus Pete and Nick Easton both missed the game. James Hurst really stepped up. And then on top of that, I think that there were plenty of key playmakers that really did their job. They really stepped up. We were kind of ragging on Jared Cook last week because he got paid. He kind of show up. He makes some mistakes. Drew Brees kind of had a conversation with him against the Chiefs. And now all of a sudden he goes out and he's the guy. You know, I mean, whenever, you know, Emmanuel, Emmanuel Sanders makes some plays, Alvin Kamara was obviously incredible. But as far as tie ins goes, I mean, Jared Cook showed up. And I yeah. think that's, that's incredible too. As far as game balls go, Maggie, I'm sorry. You and I, we're going to, we have to pick two and I get one and you get the other. I'm going to be a little selfish here. I'm, I'm going to give out the first one. Okay. I'm giving it to Alvin Kamara. Fair six enough. rushing, <laughs> six rushing touchdowns, 155 rushing yards. Yeah. I mean, we're here. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Now, now you're on the spot. Your turn. You get to have the other one. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'll give mine uh, to Emmanuel Sanders. I think as much as we just, I, I, again, I felt like a proud mother <laughs> watching Jared <laughs> Cook this week. Emmanuel Sanders did what we asked basically Jared Cook to do in two seasons in about four games. I think if we didn't have Emmanuel Sanders without Michael Thomas, we could try as much play action. We could try to put Taysom Hill in as many positions as we want. But without someone that can serve as that wide receiver one for Drew, we can't get anything else going. And so he is doing more than I could have expected from him. And I'm just really excited to see what he does when he gets Thomas back. As surprising as it was that I picked Alvin Kamara for uh, the, the first offensive game ball, the next surprise here is that we're going to let the former Saints cornerback give the two defensive game balls here. So all he's yeah. telling can, can I get an honorable mention on the, on the offensive side? Yeah, oh, whatever you want, yeah. And uh, Teron Armstead. I'm giving my game ball to Teron Fair Armstead, enough. man. I think he had a great, great, great game. That That's the all-pro mentality, uh, all-pro left tackle that we need to see. He was out there taking souls, man. I love it. He was taking souls, pancakes. I love it, Teron. Keep it going, my brother. Uh, but the uh, defensive game balls, I'm going to give it to my guy, man. It's Savage, my young Savage, Marshawn Lattimore. He gets the first game ball. Absolutely. He had a great game. Yep. Um, Justin Jefferson had one catch in the first series on a little slant. Okay, Justin Jefferson didn't see the ball when Marshawn Lattimore was locked up on him until the fourth quarter. Come on, the fourth quarter, you guys. That's when Justin Jefferson caught his next pass on uh, Marshawn Lattimore in the fourth quarter. That goes to show you what type of game Marshawn Lattimore had. And he was following him in a slot everywhere all over the field. I was going to so, I was gonna say, I've noticed that he has played a lot closer up and he's been really a lot more effective in that slot than we've ever seen. All right, also, are you saying that Justin Jefferson caught his uh, first pass in the in garbage time with uh, from Kirk Cousins, garbage time king? <laughs> hey, man, I, I love Justin Jefferson. The kid's a baller, man. Um, but, but you know what, man? I, yeah, garbage time. You know, definitely garbage time. He had to keep the ball underneath. Um, and I think Marshall Lattimore had a great game. He tackled well. Whenever the receiver caught the ball, he was there to make the plays. So, man, Lattimore, you get the first game ball. Uh, and the second game ball, I want to give it to Demario Davis, man. That guy's just a baller. He's a freak. He's a freak, man. He's a baller. He's made plays. I love this one play where he met Delvin Cook in the hole. I want to say it was in the 
A-gap. Man, he read the play so perfect, man. It was him and uh, uh, Delby cooking the hole. He made the play, man. I love it. Demario Davis, keep balling, my brother. Something I notice about Demario Davis is, and it's I don't mean to use the term slow start in a negative way, but it's almost like he spends, you know, the first half. It reminds me of his pregame speech he gave about, you know, the the predator and the prey kind of thing, or he's kind of like assessing and observing like the weaknesses of his prey. And then he, once he figures it out, you could see it flip in his head. And I think I'm thinking of this exact same play that you just brought up where he just stuffed Dalvin cook. And then every single play after that, it, it's like, he is an energizer bunny on our defense. And anytime you say Jabario Davis's name, I'm going to get excited about it. So <laughs> I, I agree with both of those. And we gave Lattimore a lot of, you know, not, not a ton, but we talked about, how this is a contract year it's and it's tough that he is affected by things out of his control like the restricted cap but he has been a very physical and lockdown player these last couple weeks and I've noticed him closer to the line of scrimmage and so I did just also want to give him credit on my side as well kind of moving into this a little bit but kind of some stuff that went right on defense since we're kind of on it and our last pod we spent a lot of time talking about how the Vikings could possibly win this game. And the way that they were going to do that was by stopping, or was by having Dalvin Cook just go off, which was going to create the play action for Kirk Cousins. Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson were going to have massive games. And you know what the Saints defense said? Nay, nay, not today, not today. They slowed down Dalvin Cook, 72 rushing yards. Dalvin, you talked about Justin Jefferson, one catch, fourth quarter, incredible stuff. So, Delvin, from your perspective, like maybe some stuff that fans watching, maybe they didn't see, like what do you think really went right for this Saints defense beyond the obvious? Oh man, the way those guys just communicating, the way those guys are just flying around making plays, you know, uh, uh, sorry about, you know, Quan Alexander, um, but, but uh, other than that, the way those guys are flying around and, and I can't wait to see An- Anzalone get up in there and, and just fill in and plug away because he, he has the juice as well, right? You know, all those guys, the backups are, are, are ballers as well too, so um, but besides that, man, the way those guys are just playing, the way they're having fun, the way they celebrate, man, I see those guys having fun out there and that's what you need to have going into the playoffs. You have to have that swag you got to have swag. You know, if you ain't got no swag, you ain't got nothing. And what they say, a noisy defense is a confident defense. So they have to continue to keep being noisy and keep making plays and keep flying to the ball. Hey, Trey, Trey Henderson, I need you, baby. I need you. I need you number one, man. I need you number one, baby. So when we get him back, man, I think we, we're going to be rolling. The chemistry thing is something that I've always wondered about, you know, and, and that's almost what I felt like was missing on the Saints defense at the beginning of the season. You know, when we looked at this team on paper, the way they upgraded all these positions and the already stellar people they had. So the first couple of weeks, the play was a little mind blowing. And then the Tampa game, that beat down, you could see the way that they started to get, like you said, really excited and, and, and celebrating and, and kind of getting that like dog mentality. And once that switch gets turned on to me, the Saints defense, a lot of the time for me, it's, it's, it seems like it's mental more than a skill issue, at least this season. And, and once I kind of got that chemistry and that excitement together, I feel like that has kind of been the wave while our offense has the momentum kind of shifted downward with obvious, you know, serious injuries, the defense trended upward. And I think a lot of that came from that kind of chemistry that you said is, is still palpable heading into the playoffs, which is when you need that spark. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. They just have to keep it going. But you brought up, uh, you know, Quan before. There's one thing that did stick out to me in this game, as as good as we played against Justin Jefferson, against Alvin Cook, uh, Irv Smith Jr., who you don't hear much about, uh, tight end for the Vikings. He had two touchdowns that pretty much seemed wide open. We are going to, you know, share these links out. And so you can find them on Twitter, but it's both touchdowns from the Vikings uh, in the air. Delvin, from your perspective, because the the tight end coverage issue has been brought up quite a bit and and it's kind of simmered the past couple of weeks, but now it seems to be a little bit worrisome again. Did you see anything in either of those plays where someone, you know, blew the coverage? Was someone at fault there? Or were those just kind of both plays where they got lucky? So so analyzing that, you, you know, from the uh, the Kansas City game where I told y'all, uh, smoke and mirrors, right? A lot of motion. They want to do a lot of emotions. They want to mess with your eyes. So that's exactly, they took a page out of the Kansas City Chiefs book and came and done it this week. They took a page out of eyes. They messed with our eyes. So on the first one, um, what I saw was some uh, uh, 84 Earth Smith they were in a vision zone, uh, zone defense, hard cover two down there uh, in the goal line. Basically, basically, it's just to keep eyes on a quarterback. And once they did the play action fake, the eyes messed with um, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, 27 over there. So when his eyes got back, he thought they were running the ball. And, and that's the effectiveness of a play action because they think it's a run, right? But then he pulled it out. So his eyes were still stuck on the quarterback. Er Smith snuck behind him. Boom, there it goes. If Malcolm Jenkins was, and he know this. I know he know this. He know once the play action happens, he, his his eyes has to immediately turn and find work. You didn't see nobody in front. He has to immediately turn uh, and find work. I think he would have made that play or at least disrupted or had some type of timing issue with, with that play down there on the first one. Oh, and then the second one down there. So what I noticed was they came out in one of these big funky formations. We call it big nasty, big funky formations where the big three tight end set uh, with two running backs, right? It's big tight end. So you have your big tight end, which is number 60 down on the line of scrimmage. He's, he's called a blocking tight end. And you have number 84, which is Irv Smith. And they had the other tight end backside who are their receiving tight ends. So they want to move those guys. So at the snap of the ball, it was a three, it's supposed to be a three-way call from the same between Demario Davis, uh, Alex Anzalone, and P.J. Williams. A three-way call, three-way call list. Basically, each guy I take whoever comes in their vicinity. So if one go left, that's who got the left, go right, and whoever comes up the middle, that's who got him. So as, as, the, as the ball snaps, they do another play action play. Irv Smith comes back. So when he comes back, Demario Davis is supposed to take him creeping on, underneath. P.J. Williams is supposed to take the first guy out, which is the fullback, and Anzalone was right there on Delvin Cook. Bad eyes by Demario Davis. As you can see, he was trying to hurry up and make a play too late. And, man, that's what Minnesota did. So what you're saying essentially is that Obviously, Quan Alexander is a phenomenal player. He helped uh, kind of reshape the defense late in the season. But as far as the Saints' tight end issues go and defending tight ends on defense, having Anzalone come in for Quan Alexander, that, that didn't directly result in these touchdowns. So you're saying it wasn't maybe, it wasn't the fact that Quan Alexander went out of the game that all of a sudden the Vikings started finding success with the tight ends. No, it's, it's, it's eyes, man. It's eye discipline. It's called eye discipline, man. That's something coach teaches every day, man. That's something you have to teach yourself every day. It's eye discipline, especially if you're in man-to-man, you have a man. And especially when you get a three-way call, now it's about communicating. We have to communicate. So now it's eyes and communication. And I didn't see that on another, uh, not one of those touchdowns. And there you go. I was going to say, the reason I sent both those plays and, and wanted to get your insight on them is, is Kate, what you just kind of said. I, I purposely looked at those because Anzalone was 
was on both those covered plays. This is why we have a former player on here because you could see those things immediately that that I just can't. And, and so finding that both those calls, despite Anzalone being involved in them, that he wasn't the one that misread or his eyes got drawn somewhere else, that that's kind of really encouraging to hear because that that that's kind of where it where it uh, tied into that. And, and I'm pretty sure both those, if not at least the first one, came while Quan was still in the game. Uh, and, and I noticed that that wasn't really his, his job either way. But knowing that he's going to kind of take over Quan's role, do you think that Malcolm Jenkins is kind of the guy that that's up for the tight ends moving forward? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, it's time. It's time for him to get back in that box and be the hybrid guy he is that we know he is. He can get down in the box. He can tackle. He can play the edge. He can set the edge and he can make tackles. So, and he can rush the passes. So, and he can cover tight ends. So it's, it's time. It's time to see. This is why we pay him. We brought him in to do this job right here and look how God works. We're putting him in this, in this position and I, I want to see him excel. Yeah, it sounds like it's, uh, we, there's a great contingency plan here to kind of mitigate the loss of Quang Alexander. So that's some really good news for Saints fans moving forward into week 17 and the playoffs. We kind of talked about the play action a little bit as far as, you know, Kirk Cousins utilizing it to complete those couple of touchdowns there at the, in the uh, red zone. But what's really interesting, I think, is that Sean Payton and Drew Brees actually utilized the play action. And it's funny because, again, just like we talked about on the last podcast, Drew Brees doesn't really hasn't really ever utilized play action a whole lot, uh, you know, in in this in this iteration of the offense at least. And we saw a lot of that on Christmas Day, and they were successful with it. On top of that, Saints fans have been clamoring for, I guess, years to, you know, Sean Payton, run the ball, run the ball, implement more running plays, run the ball. Well, all of these things. They did, right? And they did them well. And the offensive line played a key part in making sure all of that uh, happened. You know, the offensive line was absolutely eating the Vikings defensive line alive uh, as far as, you know, being able to uh, further the, the run game. You know, that led the way to some play actions. Uh, so I think one of the, you know, some stuff that the Saints offense did really well is doing things that maybe they don't really do a whole lot. And I think there is a purpose behind that as well uh, moving into the postseason here. Well, to, to kind of touch on that play action, just as we kind of broke it down from the defensive side and and hearing, you know, that that drew Malcolm Jenkins forward instead of going backwards on his guy. What I noticed on the play action plays most of all was that a lot of them went to, like we said earlier, Jawan Johnson, who last week could not separate, couldn't get open, was 0 for 4 on targets. And, and suddenly these play actions seem to work with this new core of receivers. So Delvin, does, does the play action give those receivers, you know, possibly that opportunity to separate more? And do you, do you think that that play action was intentional more so from a game plan standpoint of just look at what we can do? Or do you think that that was kind of a, br- a way to bridge the gap with those receivers that weren't really able to get the job done last week? Yeah, I, w- I want to say we we added that into the game plan um, just because of the, the the lack of depth, right? Lack of t- lack of talent we have at, at the receiver position. Um, we have to simplify the game plan. You know, they made it very simple, right? Run the ball, play action, fake. Play action is to running the ball is is to be successful to play action pass to open up certain windows, open up deep shots. Uh, you can even have extra protection in. 
You know what I'm saying? So you can buy more time to take deeper shots. The over the over routes, uh, the over routes we call speedos. So uh, I, I think that was a great game plan coming in, um, and and I love it. And Cable, you had those numbers before on Breeze's deep balls. Yeah, I did. And actually, so I gotta give uh, a little bit here of a shout out to Deuce Dwindham for this stat here. So Drew Brees completed ten out of thirteen passes that were between ten and nineteen air yards for 252 total yards against the Vikings. A a lot of that, I think, again, kind of was opened up thanks to the play action. And as Nick Underhill of New Orleans.Football kind of pointed out, that this was an offense that looked like something that might have been designed for Taysom Hill, that the Saints put Drew Brees in. But Delvin, I think you make a really good point about kind of simplifying the game plan because this Saints team has been well known to be lethal, but they're lethal because they're efficient. And they're efficient because they thrive off of this dink and dunk offense, screen passes, short throws, curl routes, slants, you know, get the ball quick, yards after catch. Well, that wasn't what this was on Christmas Day. This was like a very meat and potatoes type of offense. Run the ball down the Vikings' throats and then air it out. And I think I mentioned there was a purpose to this. And here's what I firmly believe the purpose was, is that Sean Payton, Drew Brees, and the rest of this offense is showing the league that they're more than this dink and dunk offense. They're not, you know, one or two dimensional. They can do everything. Brees aired the ball out. And whether or not he was successful at it at all times doesn't really matter. We're showing that Breeze's arm strength and his arm health is there heading into the playoffs. It's going to force teams to have to game plan differently against these Saints because defenses heading into week 16 of the 2020 season say, we know what the Saints are going to do. We know exactly what they're going to do. And here's how we're going to stop them. Now, all of a sudden, Drew Brees is throwing, you know, 42-yard bombs downfield. He's doing play action. Like, what is this? And I think that was absolutely perfect. And the Vikings and their depleted defense was the perfect opponent to show that this offense has a lot more layers to it. I was just going to say, like, we've said that we can't take that much away from this offensive performance just based on the opponent. But I think that that's exactly what we can take away from this. And I think that Sean Payton saw this opportunity as this is a depleted, easy defense that we can carve up in a different way. And this was, again, like you said, a friendly reminder heading into the playoffs that Drew Brees can do it all. He can do the dink and dunk offense. He can control the tempo, run play action, and he could shoot the ball downfield. And he did that in the Chiefs game. And when we thought, oh, oh my God, you know, is he still battered and and broken? And then he completes a 30-plus pass to Emmanuel Sanders. And and that it kind of was like a microcosm of this entire game where it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Drew Brees still can do this. And so it does force teams going into the playoffs to get that friendly reminder that the, that the Saints can do more than that efficient offense. But I will just never understand the criticism that the Saints offense gets for being efficient. I, I um, just recently rewatched this clip from Drew Brees earlier this season on the Rich Eisen show, uh, where he was talking about that, that deep ball criticism. And, and he said it exactly how my mentality has always been. You know, it's not his job to look pretty. It's his job to execute and win football games. And, Precisely. and, as fun as deep balls are to watch and as much as Aaron Rodgers gets lauded for them, Tom Brady gets lauded for the deep balls. You know what the deep balls do? They cut a drive that could have taken up seven minutes and rested your defense and given you guys control of the clock. Now that drive is done in 
two minutes, your defense is back on the field exhausted, which I think played into the play action and the running heavy this game too was on that short week after playing 40 minutes of defense. It was like 98 snaps. or yeah. yeah. And, and, and so I, I think that game plan was intentional, but I, I, I think if we see the sufficient offense again open up in the playoffs, I would just urge fans not to panic. This is just a reminder that they can do these things, but just because they can doesn't always mean that they should or that it's the best game plan. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then one thing too is we, the entire time I'm watching this game, I, I you know, really for the first quarter, first really two quarters, the Vikings did a good job on keeping this game close. It looked, the score kind of looked similar to the Chiefs and the Saints game. But I just knew, like, the entire time I'm watching this offense and this defense go to work, I just felt like this game was never going to be close. It wasn't going to be close at all. And I think, however, coming kind of back to to this offensive performance, I think had the Saints offense played the same way against the Chiefs as they did the Vikings, that the Saints would have demolished the Chiefs. Now, obviously, you have Alvin Kamara have a, a, a record-tying six rushing touchdowns. But even if he's got two rushing touchdowns, you take away the you know, two interceptions that Breeze had against the Vikings and you maybe, maybe give him two passing touchdowns, that offense right there would have utterly destroyed the Chiefs. It was a three-point game. And so I, I really like what I saw from this offense and what they're showing the league and their opponents that they're capable of moving forward. Uh, I'm excited. I can't wait to see what we do, man. But my, my biggest thing is we just got to stay healthy moving forward. This COVID is, is really very concerning to me um, because it can happen at any moment. It can happen there before the game. It can happen Friday. Man, if we come into a big game, I need everybody there. And that what scares me. You know what I'm saying? I know it sucks, but man, I want everybody healthy. I want everybody to play. Um, and we just have to pray, man. Yeah, I agree. And right now, just kind of a sidebar, like as we're talking, uh, you know, the Rams, they're fighting for a playoff spot. It's a must-win game for them to go to the playoffs. They've already lost Jerry Goff for this game. And you just mentioned COVID and Cooper Cup is already on that reserve COVID-19 list. It happens right. just like that. Just well, like that. last weekend, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like, yep. They're like on yep. the plane and then all of a sudden they end up losing a game that they should have won because you're all frazzled out there. But Kate and I were talking about this before. The You know that Sean Payton treated COVID as if it was his Super Bowl like opponent this year. And of uh, the, t- the Saints are probably in like the top five teams that have really, and, and knock on wood as I'm saying this now, but kept it contained this whole season. And I think that just ties into their airtight locker room culture that they've had. There's no partying that gets aired. We still don't ultimately know how a couple guys ended up on that list, like Sanders and Taron Armstead. But, you know, there was never anything that got out about the Saints egregiously violating protocol or anything like that. I mean, Sean bought out a hotel for the preseason to house basically the whole team at will. So I, I think, yes, the COVID thing is really, really important to keep in mind because, like you said, it can happen at the last second. But if any team is prepared for that, it's the Saints because that's... The, what what are we just talking about now? How we used play action to help compensate for these practice squad receivers. It's just because of injury for us. But if any team can make it work with nameless people on the field, it is the Saints. It's it, it's not optimal. And, and we can't really lose anyone else. And like you said, as long as we can keep healthy. And then that kind of brings us into this final week of this Panthers matchup. You know, we would normally do a, a, a podcast breaking that one down. But the fact of the matter is they're, they've had four wins this season. They're not going to the playoff. They're a team that we 
for all intents and purposes, should easily beat. And we're all going to be playing for that number one seed at the same time. It's pretty simple. We get the number one seed. If we win, Seattle wins and Green Bay loses. So we need that three-way tie. And then the Green Bay loss to a divisional opponent in the NFC gives us a better conference record. And so we would get the top seed. But in that same note, how much, you know, is, is there to be said in playing for that seed, which obviously we're going to do, but, you know, God forbid we get another one of these injuries in week 17. And then it's like, you know, should we have just taken the hit, taken the number two or three seed and just rested our starters? So, you know, what do you guys think going into this week? Do you think that we still play lights out for that number one seed, no matter what? Or do we take some of these guys that are a little on the, on the fringe and, and say, you know, maybe we just turn this into a bye week just to be sure. Man, Coach Payton is a boss to the wall kind of guy. I know. And I say, I say he's playing guys full quarter um, and, and he's going to roll with it. Yeah, I mean, yep, he's got to play for the number one seed. I get it. Yeah, totally agree. So per FPI, right, the Stinks have a 68.9% chance of walking away with the number two seed in the NFC. That being said, Delvin, you've said on this pod a couple of times, you don't play this game unless you want to win. Everyone goes out there to try and win. Sean Payton goes out there. He's going to try and win. And if there's even a 10% or 5% chance that the Saints could walk away with the first round by, they're going to do it. They're absolutely going to do it. And you know what? They got to play the Panthers. That's one part of this three-piece puzzle. And the Saints know that they can go out there and get that job done and rely on a little bit of help help from others. So I, I don't see why you wouldn't play this game as if uh, you're fighting for the number one seed. Yeah, no, 100%. I I agree with that. It's just going to be one of those things where, you know, again, it's it's the Quan injury last game. And in at least, not at least, but it'd be one, you know, the, the Michael Thomas injury in garbage time is still something I am coming to terms with and probably won't. At least the Quan touch, the, you know, injury was in the third quarter. It wasn't totally in garbage time. But man, I, I don't know. I I could see them. The thing is, I feel like we can still beat the Panthers without a few key starters. And so I do hope if there are guys that are on the fringe that we do take the smart approach with them. Because I think even, you know, with what if we were down two or three key players, I still think we win this matchup. I just don't think that we can afford to lose these players into the playoffs. Yeah. And, and great docs there. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting week seven. And obviously we'll break that down for you guys next week. And uh, But from all of us guys, I want to say thank you again for, for tuning in to Believing Saints. We were really hoping here for uh, some good luck for the Saints coming up uh, in week 17. And we'll be excited to, to bring that action to you guys uh, next Tuesday. So thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.